Hey, good morning. Hope you got your favorite cup of coffee with you, and most importantly, your copy of the Word ready to go. Um, we're in the book of Acts, and uh, when we think of the book of Acts, you may have a favorite section of that book. Maybe it's the chapter 2 uh, when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the believers and he empowers them for the works of ministry as Jesus commanded them to go and bring the gospel uh, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, um, or maybe uh, you like chapters uh, 8 and 9 when we start to get introduced to Paul or Saul of Tarsus at that point where he ultimately gets the call directly from Jesus and is uh, wonderfully born again. Uh, maybe Acts chapter 2 again, the four legs of the stool, uh, the Apostles' Doctrine and uh, and breaking bread and fellowship and prayers. Um, but you, know, you may have some part of the book of Acts that is sort of your favorite. Um, and um, But I, let me say this, let me suggest this, that the chapter we're going to start to look at today uh, becomes a wonderfully practical, beautiful expression of the spiritual nature of interpersonal ministry. And that, that makes it one of my favorite sections in this book, actually. Uh, and so if you have your Bible ready, go ahead and open to chapter 6, and uh, we'll go ahead and begin to look at um, the growing pains that the church began to experience here in these early days. And we're still in very early times in in, uh, in terms of the birth of this body of believers, uh, the church. And so um, in chapter 6, it starts by saying, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, let's define a couple of terms. Um, the Hellenists are uh, those who are Jewish, but they have adopted uh, a large part of the Greek culture. Alexander conquered that part of the world um, years and years earlier, and many of the Jews in that part of the world, as Alexander brought uh, the Greek culture to the eastern areas, um, as he did, many of the Jews of that time and in times after, even up into including uh, this period of time, uh, had adopted much of the Greek culture, and including speaking the Greek language. They tended to uh, not so much use the original Hebrew of the Old Testament, but they leaned toward the Septuagint, or the Greek uh, version of the New Testament. And so they were very Hellenized. They were Greekized, if you will. And this stood in stark contrast to those who uh, held on very firmly to the Hebrew nature of their faith. They used, of course, the Hebrew scriptures, and they lived in and around Jerusalem and Judea in that area. And they did their best to not be um, really, uh, to not really embrace the Greek culture in that. Well, that put these two groups at odds, uh, certainly historically. But now that the church uh, had come together, and you had these Jews from different backgrounds, the church predominantly at this point is Jewish, maybe even entirely at this point. Um, but that's about to change in the next few chapters. Uh, but uh, but the believers, as they gather, there's already sort of differences between some of them, and those differences are starting to come out. Now, it says the problem is, is that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. In the early church, as we mentioned before, um, uh, they, there was this habit of people selling goods that they had in order to give provide means that the apostles could then distribute to make sure that those who had need uh, went without and did not go without, I should say. And so um, this became a larger and larger and larger job. And some of those resources, for whatever reason, we're not told why, we just know that some of the Hellenistic Jews who had come to believe in Christ were kind of being neglected, the widows in particular. Uh, later on, Paul will talk about the importance of taking care of widows and such and that kind of a thing. And so 
here in this early part of the church, it's already a cultural thing. You would normally do that. And the fact that they weren't doing that was an obvious problem that was then brought forth. Now, was there, you know, was it that um, the Hellenists were being marginalized or were they just being overlooked in some way? Or uh, we don't know exactly. We can probably surmise that human nature being what it is, there were some issues that still uh, resided in the flesh that may have caused this problem. I don't want to presume too much because it doesn't really say, but they were being neglected. In other words, they were not being given the portions so uh, that they should have been given in order to make sure that they were taken care of. And so this was brought to the apostles. And so what we have now is the first indication of some of the growing pains that the church experienced at that time. The numbers were growing, even as it says in verse 1. The disciples were increasing in number. Um, they had explosive growth on their very first day, on the day of Pentecost. Over 3,000 came to Christ. Uh, later on, additional more came to Christ, either 5,000 more or the number increased to 5,000 uh, in, the, in the days to follow. And it just continued to go, even as it says in Acts chapter 2, God added daily those as such as should be saved. And so now we find ourselves having some practical uh, issues come up in the midst of a spiritual explosion. You know, God is doing a great work in bringing many to Christ. However, that is also creating some practical issues. And it becomes now part of the church's responsibility to seek the Lord and to, uh, in, with wisdom, start to address those issues. And so they do that. And so looking at verse 2, it says, And the twelve, in other words, the apostles, uh, summon the full number of the disciples. Okay, in other words, all who were there were gathered together. Um, and uh, they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and, wis- and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nic- uh, Nicolaus, and uh, who is a proselyte of Antioch. And they set, uh, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That's no small thing in itself. And so, as they are now confronted with this very practical problem, uh, they said, look, it's, it's not a good idea for us. It's not desirable. It's not pleasant. It would not be a good thing for us to set aside the preaching of the word in order to, to serve tables. Now, let's be careful in this moment here. This is not intended uh, to create hierarchy in the church because when we see the, uh, the requirements for those who are going to wait on tables, uh, it's a lot loftier than we typically in the church tend to apply when we ask people to serve. Uh, but not not the people that serve don't meet these requirements, but they right off the top, when it came to the moving uh, or the growing of the church, they wanted to make sure that even something as practical and, and often seen as not necessarily even spiritual, just a practical thing, still was important enough to make sure that we put the right people in those places. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But let me start by saying that the apostles had a primary responsibility, and that was the plant, the founding of the church, becoming sort of the foundation upon which the church would be built, as Paul would describe, uh, in places like Ephesians chapter 4 and elsewhere where we would talk about 
the foundation of apostles and prophets being the basis upon which Jesus would build the church. And what that means is that through God's revelation, as it's disseminated by the apostles, the church would grow and the foundation of belief and faith would be laid. And so um, so the apostles recognize the importance of that responsibility that they have. It's also important to recognize that God had called them to do that, which means this is something they were responsible to do. And so when it came to some of the more practical elements of the church that others could do, it became important to hand those things over uh, to them. And so this became the first uh, time that the apostles had to really deal with this in a formalized kind of a way. As a matter of fact, that word serve there, it's not good for us to set aside the teaching of the word in order to serve tables. That word serve is where we get our word deacon from. Uh, Diakomenos, I think, is the Greek right there when it talks about to serve. Well, those who would be called would become the first official deacons of the church, those who took on the practical responsibilities of taking care of ministering to the people physically, practically. And, uh, and so they, they, they basically put this to the people and said, interestingly, they didn't just sort of, um, you know, pick six guys. They put it to the people and said, you guys look amongst yourselves and you decide who are people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom uh, and are men of good reputation, right? And we will appoint them. And so they put it to the people to look amongst themselves and find six men that they felt fit that description. Now look at that description. Uh, again, they were people. They were men of good reputation, good repute. Uh, they were well uh, respected and, and acknowledged to be of good character among the people. Secondly, they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And wisdom, okay? Now, that was going to be important because even something, and I, I, I catch myself saying even something like, like serving tables, as if it were a small thing. The apostles did not see it as a small thing. The requirement to serve tables was to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have a good reputation, and to be wise, now, a lot of times in our churches, right, we're just like, we need people. We need people to help. We have stuff to do, and we need people to do it because we can't do it all ourselves. Um, and we don't often stop and think about the fact that that positions and roles that that we don't often equate necessarily with being particularly spiritual endeavors, but just practical endeavors. Um, you know, like we think of, of something like hospitality, or we think of something like... Um, you know, uh, counting the offerings or, uh, or setting up chairs, things like this, right? And we think, well, those are very practical kinds of things, but we don't necessarily think that anybody needs to be particularly uh, deep spiritually to, in, or, in order to do those things. But let me tell you something. Um, I, would, I would suggest that we would do well to take to heart uh, those, uh, those qualifications in every level of service, in every position of service. There I go again saying levels. It's just something in human nature. We tend to sort of categorize things, and that's such a mistake. But every position of service ought to be filled by somebody who meets those requirements. Um, there are deaconesses, female deacons, mentioned in Scripture as well. And so we don't want to necessarily say that women can't serve in these roles. They obviously can and do. Uh, and not just Sunday school. You know, there, um, there are churches that have women on their boards. There's uh, there's women that are, are in leadership positions, administering over different ministries in the church and that kind of a thing. Certainly women serve all over the place uh, in, in lots of different ways. And so one of the qualifications here in this first place was that they were called to choose six men. But later we do see in the New Testament where that's opened up and women also serve as well. And so 
when we, but the larger thing is that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to be uh, wise, and they need to be people of good character. And when we see that, uh, when we see those elements present in somebody serving in any capacity, we see that God is moving in that capacity and allows the church to function in a really seamless, beautiful kind of a way. As I look around our own fellowship, I see that being the case among the people that are serving in all the different places. Uh, you know, you think about the women in our hospitality ministry that oversee that. Uh, they just serve beautifully, wonderfully, almost invisibly. You know, they're, they're there if you need something, but they generally just get out of the way and let people enjoy those various things. They plan events and, and do things that, that they don't, you know, they don't stand up and make sure they're noticed, but they just very wisely and, and with the intent of, of making a, an environment for people to be blessed by, they're there. Uh, when we have people count the money, you know, whether it's men or women counting the money, uh, I don't just just randomly pick somebody in the congregation, but we have people that fit this description, that do that. Uh, I don't participate in that because of my own just desire not to uh, be influenced by who gives what and all that, but those who do count the money are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are wise. They have good reputations. And so therefore, and so, you know, when we talk about service and ministry, every single part of service to the Lord is a spiritual endeavor. It really, you know, when we talk about ministry, maybe it's best to put it this way, that, you know, rather than seeing things as a hierarchy of ministry, uh, and remember, Jesus taught the disciple or the apostles here. You know, he said, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, you need to be the least and the servant of all. And so they weren't shucking the responsibility of service. They were just recognizing what their particular calling was and their need to do it as well as they could. And other elements of service that others could do were t- was taking away from their ability to do theirs well. And that, that, that statement can be true of any ministry, which is why it's generally not a great idea to have one person doing three or four different ministries. It's generally good to just have people serving and giving their best to, uh, to what they're doing. But in, in any case... Rather than seeing it as levels of ministry, rather recognize that in every single area of the church's ministry, uh, to the body and outside of the body, is a spiritual endeavor. And therefore, these three requirements become very, very uh, understandable and applicable to every area of ministry. And so they did that. They picked six men that uh, were full of the Holy Spirit, wise, they had good reputation, and they're named here. Now, only two of these people really figure, excuse me, prominently after this point. The first two, their names, Stephen and also Philip. We'll learn more about them as we uh, go through the following chapters, but I will just point out that these are the two that tend, that, that, that are more prominently uh, featured in the book of Acts as we make our way through it. But six are mentioned that are all, that all meet these qualifications, uh, and they set them before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. In other words, they appointed them to ministry. This is another thing. Um, Oftentimes, uh, I'll share this. My own pastor used to share it this way, uh, too, which is where I'm sure I got this from. But um, when it came to ordaining pastors in the church, he would always make the case that God anoints, man appoints. In other words, we don't have the power to make somebody a minister. God gives them that ability and gives them the giftings and gives them the calling. We just recognize it, and we lay hands on them and formally recognize them in front of the church and, uh, and that kind of a thing. I'll connect with that, the idea that they put it to the people to make that decision, who these people should be, uh, who they respected among them as, as being the, 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 the folks that meet, met this description and could therefore then become the deacons. Um, there's something to be taken from that. 
um, you know, when you when you see people that have uh, giftings of service in the church that you'd like to sort of put into positions that can uh, be a blessing to the, the church by serving them, uh, it's good. We and we make it a practice as well. We uh, when it came like to our board, um, we stood them up in front of the church and we said, "Here's the guys that we." Uh, that we believe God has really given us to serve in, in, in sort of a leadership capacity in the church, and uh, they're sort of a, a, a sort of a lay board. They're not pastors, elders per se, but they are a board of of lay leaders that are uh, very much fit this idea of a deacon. And we held them up and we said, if anybody has any issues about any of these folks, we do this with pastors too. If anyone's got an issue that they can demonstrate why this person is not qualified to be in this role, we would like you to let us know that so we can be aware of it if we're not already. And so the people have sort of like uh, a buy-in with what's going on. And if there's a reason why somebody doesn't qualify, thankfully we've never had that come up. But if it were to come up, the people would, you know, sort of have a voice in that. That's not the same thing as what is generally viewed as like a congregationally led church. Uh, That's not a healthy kind of a church government because why would you, not everyone in your church is necessarily a believer. Why would you want non-believers weighing in? On leadership of a church or on major decisions. But by and large, we want to make sure that the people uh, under, uh, know and respect those who are serving them in leadership types of roles or in any servant kind of a role. And so these are important kinds of things. These are uh, It's important for us to recognize that there is nothing unspiritual about any element of service in the church, but rather it should be seen as a very spiritual endeavor. And so they put these folks before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them And verse 7 talks about the result of going about it in this very wise and spirit-led way. And that is that the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, that's a step forward. That's a sort of kicking up a notch, because it wasn't just that the gospel went out and people were believing, but even some of the priests, those who were deeply invested in the religion of their fathers, came to recognize that Jesus was their long-sought Messiah, and they believed. And so the Holy Spirit, implicit in that, is that the Holy Spirit is continuing to move powerfully among the people. And so that being the case, um, we begin to look now at, um, uh, well, we kind of begin to transition now from sort of that early church life and dealing with some of the growth that was taking place. And now we begin to key in on one of those people that uh, figured so prominently that we mentioned a moment ago of those six Two stand out. One is Stephen, the other being Philip. And Stephen is who we'll look at the next time we come here to the book of Acts. And so that being said, I'm going to stop there for today. And uh, and uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, then I encourage you to, to let me know. Just go ahead and shoot me a comment on our YouTube channel. Uh, uh, you can also uh, watch these videos and comment on my personal website, and that is uh, at parsonspad.com. And you can also email me from there or from our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And if you go to calvarychapelfranklin.com, you can also link to uh, our YouTube channel as well and watch all the videos and Sunday services that we post and everything. So, But uh, let me pray us out, and then we'll catch up with you again next time. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that even in these elements of very practical ministry, we recognize the deep-rooted spiritual element that is necessary for that ministry to really be done in a way that glorifies you and gives you the space you want to work uh, in and through the church. And so help us as members of fellowships, even as leaders of fellowships as the case may be, to to not lose sight of the importance of, of recognizing the need 
for people to be spirit-filled, to be wise, to have good reputations as they serve. And help us to approach that in a way that honors you and glorifies you uh, and gives opportunity for people that you're calling to step into ministry. So we love you, we thank you and praise you for this and ask you just to continue to lead us through your word, help us to understand it, and then ultimately apply it. Thank you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.